Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion from the outside may just look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk this week's news and politics. Yeah, uh, I'm not doing well. No? I don't sleep now. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Yeah. The walls, they draw in. Yeah, Holly's gone. She was so angry with the editing of the last episode that she left me. <laughs> um, or, in fact, she went to work in Australia for 10 days. And we're about just over halfway through, and this is the longest I've been without her since I was 21. Oh, I did think it was very unfair how in the last episode you edited her to say, I just love that sweet, sweet <laughs> ass. <laughs> I just thought she made more of a contribution than, than you portrayed. <laughs> but um, I've properly regressed, and... Spend most of my time playing Diablo and smoking weed <laughs> now and eating pickled onion crisps. <laughs> so my knowledge of politics is... Everyone has a base survival method. Not great. You know? I could tell you about <clears throat> grift strategies. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I watched a bit. Someone who, will a need, week. someone who will need grift strategies for the future is the United Kingdom. Boom. Hey. <laughs> um, so we've had a lot of Brexit business today. Yeah, it's been a um, weird one. Theresa May has presented her draft she uh, withdrawal bill to the cabinet. Yes, for agree- agreement, think, like, not the, the final bill. Yeah, the thing was like she was just the withdrawal. She one. did her speech. She gave it like she did PMQs, and yeah. she came across like an idiot, like she normally does. And Jeremy yeah. Corbyn shouted at her, and she shouted back, and it was doing the PMQ thing. Um, and then she went to the cabinet to explain to them the deal and how they need to fall into line she did that about two the plan was for her then to give us because she was supposed if you do that you're supposed to talk to parliament but she didn't want to yeah so said she was going to give a speech outside number 10 at like four five ish and then it became five six ish then it became probably six ish then it became 10 o'clock and then it was probably not today and then she suddenly did do it and she sounded like she was gonna cry well she well, also to- you could hear I imagine hardcore Brexiters howling in the background and rending their clothes off like their bodies. Dogs. Yeah. It was yeah, it's like the howls of the damned while she explains, I think that this is the best deal for the country and you just say I mean it did take so long because it takes a long time. They just agreed with it really hard. Yeah, yeah. I imagine so it, they, and that takes they were all extra paying her time. compliments for hours and that's yeah. why she sounded like she was gonna cry. Like an old Chinese emperor making testimonials to the throne. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, but yeah. her speech was, we literally about 10, 15 mm. minutes ago listened to her speech and there were two things. One, she brought up um, three options for what mm. the outcome of these talks would be, which was uh, no deal, uh, her Brexit deal and no Brexit, which mm. is the first time she's really mentioned that. There's a lot, there's some people on Twitter, I've just been looking now, who've kind of taken them and said, see, see, there is a remain option. Yeah. It's a distinct possibility. And it's like, no, I, I'm sure. Look, I'm sure that there's some kind be. of coded warning to yeah. members of her cabinet. We haven't had any resignations yet. I haven't seen anything. Yeah, but it was only just um, But it was only just now. Now, of course, according to the kind of weird constitutional rules that the British state operates under of collective cabinet respons- mm. responsibility, if the cabinet feel that they can't defend her Brexit deal in public... Mm then they will be forced to resign. Mm-hmm. Um, they also do something similar in the social revolutionaries and the Bolshevik party. That's democratic centralism for you. That's <laughs> You debate, you make a decision, yeah. and if you can't do that decision, then you leave. Like, that's a core tenet of Leninist parties. Huh. 
Which is a fucking weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she's kind of... She it, Usually you can kind of sniff out the kind of compromises she's had to make. The second thing about that speech, um, she was saying I quite a lot. Yeah, she wasn't saying the government will promise to do this Brexit, whatever. She was saying, I have done the best job that I can, which, I don't Mm. know, sets off... I really want her to resign. Sets off resignation alarms. Tory leadership battle over Christmas. Oh, can you imagine? It'd be delicious. It'd be so good. Because I don't care anymore. Also, I've decided I'm pro-Brexit now. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah, I've I've been toying with it for a while, but I just don't care anymore. I just want to see the world burn. I just hate all of it. I hate Brexit. And I think the only way that we're never going to talk about Brexit ever again is if we lose the written word. (laughs) (laughs) So if we go like full-blown, no-deal Brexit, I want the whole country to just crumble back to like, you know the little kids in Mad Max 3? Yeah. I want to be like that. You want to be like one of those, uh, like Savonarola in um, Florence, that mad monk who started burning like depictions of the human human form. Yeah. But depictions of Brexit. Yeah. Yeah, I want to be reduced down to the position of cave paintings, so I don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, she's given. Isn't she giving a speech to Parliament tomorrow? She's given a speech to Parliament tomorrow. There was a letter sent by Jeremy Corbyn and other uh, opposition party members mm. who said you kind of have to actually announce this to Parliament. You do have to tell before, us what was you happening. Do, you do have to say things, which is. The weird position that all of the constitutional arrangements around mm. the British government and British politics lead to, which is she doesn't have to, but she's kind of expected to, mm. because it was designed by a bunch of like gentlemen's club goers, yeah. who of course they would tell people it's you know bad sport or bad. Well, form yeah, it would, or be, it would like ruin every evening at the club for the rest of their life. It's not even even for like a managing a class society. The British mm. state is. Terrible, terribly incompetent. Yeah. Not set up to do it at all. Let alone, you know, remaking a country, which is what Brexit actually demands. Yeah. You know? Um, she's made some noises about uh, the DU. I think Arlene Foster was, this morning I saw, was like hightailing it to Westminster because there seemed to be some sign that she would put a future customs border in the Irish Sea yeah. rather than uh, on the Irish border. It does seem like that's the way because I think that there was someone on from the SNP on the radio talking about it saying that it's unfair that Northern Ireland would get that and we wouldn't. Oh, yeah. Because, you know... Where was the uh, Senate representative? The what? The Senate. Um, oh, he doesn't exist. Oh, God. They don't exist. I don't, I've don't. i not seen anything to do with what's going on in, with the Welsh Labour Party. They, they but there's a leadership election. Yeah, the there moment, is a leadership but... election. Uh, there's like a whole sack of. I think Carwin Jones is going to stand out. I get yeah, most he's of my stuff from Desolation. Yeah, he's, he's, stand, he's been saying he's going to stand out for a while, and so they've been. So this, the, you know, the leadership stuff is rolling along slowly, but also that is that thing with Welsh Labour where even the one that seems all right, I've forgotten his name, is still a prick. Is it Mark Drakeford? Yeah, yeah. I sort of he's not that good, um, but because you know there's still a Labour Party. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, of course you wouldn't. Why would you? Why would they talk to anyone from Wales? Mm. Because why would it matter? They'll just do what they're told. <laughs> well, they will. Welsh, well, well, Welsh Labour Party will. Yeah, he's already handed over like um, various like powers in the event of Brexit because mm. those things are going to be renegotiated. Mm. It's like what? Oh, it's terrible. Anyway, it is terrible. Um, so yeah, Theresa May has had to convince the cabinet of this deal, which it now appears she says she has. Uh, anybody who disagrees yeah. is going to be out. So that will be the real marker of how successful this has been. Mm. Um, 
it's always going to be a really difficult task because like the conservative she has saying she has too many masters to please mm-hmm. in this whole arrangement yeah. is a, a massive understatement well she it's something like what are the only other because like well brexit's going on nothing else is really happening oh no um but even then one of the small things that's happening she already lost someone in the cabinet because of it because they were doing that one so badly the um, fixed on betting terminals yeah and they even managed to lose someone. Oh, yeah, from... I completely forgot about that yeah. resignation. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking, oh, okay, who's re- resigned like this Joe week? Okay, so Joe Johnson resigned earlier in the week. And um, Figgy, and, yeah, uh, P for Chapman Ellsford. Was it? Yeah, Tracy something. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 Tracy... Um... Crouch. That sounds right, yes. Yeah, yeah it's Tracy. But, um, because of the fixed on betting terminal stuff being delayed because betting shops like making money. <laughs> it's pretty awesome, like, she's... So... Brexiters are incredibly suspicious of her since uh, forever. Since the check, well, since specifically the checkers deal. Yeah. Um, which sounds a fuck like as we said at the time sounds a horrible deal. Uh, conservative remainers, those of them that exist, mm. she can probably count on their support. Oh yeah, because Anna because she's the coward. only because yeah, that's the, the 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 great thing about kind of remainers championing Anna Subri. It's like she has already given up and she hasn't even she, this morning she said I've always you know supported Theresa May in her in her quest to find a decent uh, Brexit deal yeah and it's like the deal's not even out yet at least show some fucking decorum and yeah. wait until you betray all these people who called you like the conscience of the Conservative Party <laughs> fuck's sake um, there's probably not many hardcore pro-Europeans but they're quite they can be. They're quite loud and quite prominent, yeah. and obviously, with a remain a liberal hegemony that kind of supports remain yeah. broadly, they'll have a lot of like amplitude to, oh, yeah, to get their message out. Um, like mainstream English and Welsh conservatives will probably fall fall in line hmm. um, because it will deliver what was promised. Um, Scottish conservatives are kind of on the on the fence. They they'll support her, but also they feel separate enough that they can. Yeah, uh, they're, they're not nationalists, so mm. any kind of bad Brexit deal, any bad talk about Brexit raises the spectre of independence. Mm. Um, and, of course, she's got the DUP, who are kind of the hardest of hardcore Brexiters and have one specific issue that they can rally around. Mm. And that doesn't seem like it's going to go their way. No. No, it's... It, yeah, the DUP, that's going to be... Interesting, especially like in the last couple of days. Yeah, you sent it to me. Was it Andrew Lillico misunderstanding everything to do with what happened? Oh man! Towards the end of the troubles, and that's like, well, there's that's always been kind of the the thing that you said was that the thing that the the thing that eventually stopped the violence in Northern Ireland was the British state wholesale winning. They defeated the IRA. Yeah, and then, military intelligence, and, it's and like, then we what? invited them to the table and gave them. Um, Concessions out of the goodness of our own. Gave them guaranteed seats in the yeah. power hierarchy of uh, the Northern Irish government, which is, of course, what everyone was um, campaigning for in the first place. Yeah, and the British did that because the British have always been good and nice to people. <laughs> but you know that that idea has always been in the heads of like right wing. That kind of lack of knowledge. English people that have lack- always thought that that's what the, like the IRA lost. Well, Michael Gove wrote a whole book <laughs> on how it was a capitulation to the IRA that mm. the IRA had somehow won. Hmm. Um, it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what that whole conflict was about that hmm. it occupies a, a kind of place in conservatives' brains where they don't have to think about it very much but when they do they think about it solely in their terms and hmm. not as even a political issue Yeah, you know yeah. Um, 
so the other uh, fact we've got this uh, yesterday and today was uh, the kind of contradictory impulse that was being sounded out of Labour Remainers supporting the deal mm. because Corbyn will go against the deal. Now, this is the time yeah. when he's bided his time so far and he said, there will be a Brexit, but we don't have to like the form. Yeah, That's the way of attacking the Tories and forcing a general election, which, after all, is the only way we're going to get a mm. kind of soft Brexit anyway, because, as we've said, Theresa May has too many impulses. The impulse of hurt the hardcore of our party is towards a hard Brexit. Mm. In Labour, could go either way. There are a few Labour leavers, but they'll get back on side. Um, yeah, the hardcore Labour leavers. You can... Dennis Skinner is already Dennis Skinner is like yeah. a lexiteer, and he's already said he'll um, follow yeah. the whip. Yeah, um, and you don't have to listen to Kate Huey. Kate Huey is a, an outlier. She's insane. You don't have to listen to her at all. Yeah. Like um, I did hear her on LBC. <laughs> it was so good. It's like I don't know why I even had the radio. I think I was playing Diablo and I had a radio in the background. Yeah. But um, whoa, hey, when did was... this happen? <laughs> was it any time in the last 15 years <laughs> yes <laughs> it was um, Ian Dunt um, Andrew Donis oh boy Suzanne Evans the like the nice UKIP one. Oh yeah no I know who you mean and Kate Huey and Suzanne Evans she used the word traitor a lot which Ian Dunt <laughs> got very upset about um, but it was quite funny like all of them like arguing about you know democracy this and will of the people that and the only one there who's ever won an election is Kate Huey. <laughs> it's the thing of Andrew Adonis. I hate him so much. And it's like he was never able to get a seat even in like the new Labour heydays because he's so obnoxious. But yes, oh, I just um, can't stand listening to anything. Jess Phillips today had a, oh. Oh. Had, a, had, a stu- had a stunning day on Twitter. Did she? Uh, saying, explaining that... She doesn't understand the tactic of Labour pushing for a general election. She said... Because this, she might lose her seat. <laughs> this general election shtick... Shtick? Shtick. A professional politician. Yeah. No, she's not. This is her job. She's not bad. <laughs> this general election shtick, I don't get. Why on earth do people I don't get, think... I don't get elections. I don't... Do, what, do people think a general election would help Brexit? Hardly anyone thinks on a single issue in a general election, as proven last time. Also, why does anyone think a general election would lead to any other result than the one we have now? What then? Does Stella know that you're, you don't want a Jess second Phillips. referendum? Jess Phillips. No. Oh. Does your friend Stella Creasy oh, yeah. know that you have a very, very dim view of rerunning votes because <laughs> you think they'll turn out the same way again? <laughs> I this is this is the new McDonnell Corbyn uh, annual September split. <laughs> this is between Jess Phillips and uh, Stella Creasy. Do they agree? I think they probably do agree on a lot. Um, they yeah they I I think they have they co-sponsored that um, online abuse bill. Yeah, I don't think Stella Creasy's as much of a turf. Yeah, I mean, what happened to like the? Con- oh no, because she blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Actually, she blocked my my like my personal Twitter account. Hasn't blocked the uh, the podcast Twitter account. That's weird. Which is really, really weird. Mm, that is uh, really weird. I keep on worrying, because I, I, I see her a lot around yeah. Walthamstow, and I keep on worrying that she's going to recognise me from my um, Twitter thing, and then think I'm stalking her. And it's like, no, I just walk the dog. I live here. <laughs> yeah. But um, I haven't been seeing Twitter and seeing what Jess Phillips is doing on Twitter, because like pivoting to anime and Diablo, I have also pivoted to TikTok now. That's all <laughs> I do now. I get much better political news on TikTok. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's better than Twitter. Okay, tell me more what Jess Phillips has done on Twitter. 
Um, she's no, just that's the it. worst. She's it's just, just like what happened to like yeah. what happened to like the compromising, uh, sensitive, rational centrist MP. <clears throat> MP. On the other foot, what happened to the firebrand anti-Brexit MP? Yeah, yeah. They, I'm it, going to protest remaining. Protest Corbyn not going for Remain by voting for the Brexit deal that's bad. Hmm. I'm going to protest fire <laughs> by setting myself on fire. <laughs> was, was she one of the ones who was at the Baltic bar um, last night or the night before? Well, I don't swim in those circles, I'm afraid. You, you um, it was to, on Twitter. Someone, tell me. someone saw like <laughs> no, Mike Gapes and Chuck Rabuna oh, really? and a couple of others at the Baltic bar, yeah. She's not even a fucking Mike Gapes who is so out of his stoned out of his gourd half the fucking time <laughs> that he he comes out with these grand like statements his his interests are at least like well documented mm-hmm. and public jess phillips is just kind of like huh, yeah you think i was doing that eh <laughs> it's like what so what yeah it's i don't know what is going to finally get rid of jess phillips apart from like maybe we start a charity that just belittle sex workers and then try and get her to be the head <laughs> oh, of the charity. Oh yeah, the, yeah, it would have to be the only fucking uh, issue that she's absolutely has absolute clarity on. Yeah. is gender recognition and sex worker rights. Yeah. <sighs> and when I joined Twitter, they said it's it's, it's a horrible when cesspit. When you got the leaflet. <laughs> I thought yeah, when I got the leaflet through my door, you saying, have decided to build a sewage a sewage outlet in your in your living room. <laughs> Here are some warnings warnings for you. I thought I'd have to, you know, look at like uh, Molion Jorgum and work out whether they were a real Twitter account. I didn't think I'd have to look at Jess Twitter MP Blue Tick and work out whether they were fucking trolling me or not. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, you never. Yeah, going on Twitter, you never really expect to have to deal with so much obnoxiousness from Labour MPs and (laughs) councillors. Um, Yeah, it's a weird, yeah, weird reversal of roles. The left are kind of being very. Very stealthy, very like, yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna circle this issue, wait for the Tories to do what they're gonna do, yeah, and then we'll pounce, like yeah. that's and like the center centrists are now like fucking wild eyed berserkers. Yeah, they have, they are just screaming all the time, which is not the kind of characterization you expect from those political polls. Yeah, it's yeah, I think it does come back to the thing I said ages ago that. Losing is not a new thing for the left, and so we're able to take it in, yeah. in our stride way, way better. And also, not thinking that the EU is a wholly good thing. Yeah. So why would it make us cry anyway? <laughs> um, Tony Blair also had a speech today at the fucking oh the fucking balls of the man. Yeah. Uh, had a speech. He went to the Hague, gave a speech, and <laughs> ran away before they could get the cuffs on him. He had a speech. God about, damn him! He had a speech at about like four or five o'clock when Theresa May was expected to make a speech. <laughs> okay, that's kind of that's kind of good. Um, so I'm just there's just a couple of lines from here. Like, was he going for screen and sc- screen and screen thing on like Sky News? You've been you've been on TikTok for a day, and suddenly yeah, that's all you duets. can think about. <laughs> you're thinking that you're thinking that Tony Blair's doing a duet with Theresa May because yeah. it's broadcast entirely on TikTok. Yeah, his main uh, <laughs> done in twelve second segments. His the main funders of the Tony Blair Institute are TikTok and the Saudi <laughs> Foreign Ministry. Yeah, so we done in twelve second sections. To a Rihanna song. <laughs> Which one? I don't know any Rihanna song. 
So Blair said, this is Brexit in theory, but still tied to Europe in reality, thus making a mockery of the reason for leaving. Whatever people voted for, it was not this. In the cause of taking back control, we lost the control we had. He's not wrong. The only route to unity is clarity, and the only route to clarity is through the people. Uh, All right, fucking Lenin. Jesus. <laughs> so he's calling for a second vote. Um, surreptitiously calling for a second vote. Um, uh, populism thrives on the politics of fear, always looking for someone or someone to blame. Mm-hmm. But the fear usually derives from a worry which is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Mm-hmm. So it's real then. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I can't stick my mouth. I don't get... It thrives on the politics of fear, always looking for someone to blame, but the fear usually derives from a worry which is real. Therefore, he's saying blaming people is legitimate. Yeah. But, <sighs> Necessary to recognise that anger is genuine and grievances are legitimate. Oh. There we go. Must meet people halfway, at least. Blair said, it would be simpler for progressive, for the progressive centre <laughs> to reoccupy the established parties. Fuck off. If not, the political homeless are not lacking commitment and conviction and they will find a way of building a new home. No, they won't. Who are you talking to, Tony? The Dems are going bust. Who are you talking to? Yeah, they're <laughs> literally going financially bankrupt. Ugh. <laughs> and I bet you Tony Blair wouldn't give a fucking penny No. of his millions, millions, sitting on a pile of gold like a fucking dragon. And he wouldn't give a penny to the, to any kind of centrist party. No, not at all. But not he'd take a job with them. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't... I mean, I only said... I only kind of had that because it was like that... That whole, like, you, the only route to unity is clarity mm. is a proper, like, late-stage cult talk. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've been only around only certain types of people yeah. for a long, long time. <laughs> it's very, yeah, yeah, very brainwashed talk. So, yeah, back to Brexit. Like, it's... You can model it like as a uh, like most convincingly as a conflict between like regional and multinational shards of capital. The fate of this whole thing was only ever going to be decided by MPs and parliamentarians and ministers. Yep. Um, and the fact is that the the class structure of MPs is not towards small business. It's not no. towards the people who drove it. It's like if you're looking at Brexit as to how it came about. Yeah, a lot of people voted voted for it for a lot of different reasons, but the whole Europe issue and the whole way that Europe and Brexit was going to be managed was going to be managed by this one distinct group of people with mm. particular like class interests. And although like I say like the small business and like local regional business kind of class provided most of the arguments and most of the kind of hardcore like rancor about Europe, um, it's not going to be managed by people with those interests directly. They might have interest with them on a smaller scale because through being an MP, mm. but they're much closer to multinational business. And so like there was always going to be this tension between the hardcore Brexit of like small business and traders wanting uh, medium sized business and traders wanting like fewer restrictions mm. and more free trade with other countries, like beneficial yeah. trade with other countries. Um, but it was always going to be a multinational, a Brexit that had to be friendly to multinational companies, which means oh, yeah. it was not only not going to satisfy the people who wanted to uh, remain or who wanted a soft Brexit, but it was definitely not going to satisfy the people who wanted a hard Brexit. So like Theresa May... In any other situation, Theresa May would have followed Tony Blair's advice and played to the centre. But yeah. there is no centre to play to. No. There is, they've used that tactic and every other policy initiative and every other like political argument for the last twenty or thirty years. And, and so, this is one 
there is no centre. Yeah, no it has to be a yes or no. And no one knows how to work this kind of thing. No one's no. done a yes or no for a long time. Yeah. And of course it can't be denied that like she is the head of a dying party. Yeah. Their support is dying off. They've got no... They still have the rum- the rump of like a, a class coalition, a class block left. But she left Brexit largely in the hands of a dying Tory party to actually manage and secure the process. If she had just, I imagine actually, if Tony Blair had come across this, if somehow he was in this Mm. position, he would have shoved it off to um, think tanks and civil servants. And people would have gone on at him about... um, Set up the Brexit quango. Yeah, people would have gone on to him about um, privatising the government, Mm. like they did when he was in power. Um, mm. They would have said, he, "Oh, he's being presidential. Mm. He's um, hiving off government business, state business to private interests." And that would have been a fight he would have had. But at the end of the day, he would have had plausible deniability about mm. the results of that Brexit. And Theresa May, it's all hers. Yeah. As we mentioned with her saying, "This is the I've tried to do the best job." Her yeah. using the word "I" a lot more. This is all come down on her because she's the head of the party, and the party was the thing that tried to manage it. Maybe they'll decide that only she'll Brexit and we'll put her in a boat and just push her out to sea. <laughs> but toward, but like the Atlantic. Yeah. <laughs> Towards Iceland. Yeah. Like. <laughs> so, uh, second part of the episode this week. Uh, it was Remembrance Day last War Sunday. War Christmas. Mm-hmm. I love War um, Christmas. What did you get for War Christmas this year? I was a good patriot, so I got one of the war dead wrapped up underneath my, my poppy tree. <laughs> Um, yep, it comes around again this time. This year was a special one. It was the triple threat. Yep. It was the 100-year anniversary of the end of World War I. Mm-hmm. It actually fell on a Sunday. And uh, Brit- the British national culture, which it serves to kind of unify and paper over, has never been more dysfunctional. Yep. Perfect, perfect timing. Yeah. It really was, perfect. It, yeah. Um, <sighs> Remembrance Sunday's become kind of an article of faith, like a secular religion based around the act of remembrance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no matter where you are, your, your class, your politics, it's there to kind of unify and identify the apex of British culture. Yeah. Um, the one unquestionable function of the state and of British life in general, which is war. Yeah, so Remembrance Day kind of stretches back, obviously, to the end of the First World War. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the British Legion was set up in 1921 to kind of uh, provide charitable donations and help to ex-servicemen who'd uh, been in the war. Obviously, it was a huge mass mobilisation, so when the war ended, a shitload of soldiers were left on the streets, there were yeah. families left without you know, uh, providers, yeah. things like that. Um, the first actual uh, Remembrance Sunday, like the first Poppy Day, was held um, on 11th of November 1921. The concept of the poppy mm. as a uh, symbol of remembrance comes from the poem In Flanders Field, written by Canadian physician John McRae, mm. who wrote it in 1915 in response to a fellow soldier's funeral. Parts of the poem at the time were used to recruit soldiers and sell war bonds. Um, the interesting thing is we often think of kind of there's a, a a segment of like poppy law that suggests it's the never again mm. uh, thing. That's not entirely true. Um, no. The actual uh, poem itself, although its first verse is like in Flanders Field, the poppies blow between the crosses, row and row, quite a like memorialising thing. Mm. The third verse actually says, "Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw." 
the torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep though poppies grow in Flanders fields. So it's significantly more belligerent for a man who's just buried one of his compatriots. Yeah. <laughs> um, the actual uh, act of wearing a poppy was uh, popularised by an American academic called Moyner Michael. She'd read in Flanders Fields as the Allies were finalising their victory in 1918 and drafted a poem in response to McRae's interred soldiers, writing that the victors had caught the torch that they had thrown and they had kept the faith while others had lost it. Oh my God. Um, so while her poem might be a memorial to the dead it's also a celebration of their sacrifice and ultimately of their victory her poem that i just referred to was called we was now called keep the faith it was at the time referred to as the victory emblem yeah oh. uh, yeah um shortly after composing the victory emblem she purchased 25 silk poppies at a new york department store and distributed them in honor of the dead her memorial flowers soon caught on around the world. From the United States in 1918, they arrived in France in 1920, and Canada, Australia, and New Zealand and Great Britain in 1921, otherwise known as all the victorious countries, yeah. not the defeated. So it's much less of an anti-war symbol that I think than... Well, post-war Germany than... couldn't afford silk poppies. <laughs> they could barely afford food. To burn the silk poppies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so poppies have been converted into kind of victory medals for the uh, the victorious countries. Yeah. Um, the person who introduced poppies to Britain was none other than Field Marshal Haig, yeah. who yeah. was the uh, the British commander during World War One and would shoulder a lot of the blame for the tactical and strategic failures that led to World War One becoming such a a, a meat grinder. Mm. Um, the poppies would actually still bear his the name of his charity, the Haig Fund, until 1994. Up until 1994, yeah. you have a little. Hague in yeah. the middle of your poppy, which I, I suppose the characterization of of the poppy later on as like a non political symbol very much weird when you think that up until 1994 they had that butcher's name yeah in the middle of them. Um, nowadays, the the British Legion poppy appeal makes a staggering amount of money. Uh, mm-hmm. The British Legion's own statistics show that its poppy appeals are almost almost always more successful when they they take place during ongoing conflicts. So. Um, <laughs> In the 20s and 30s, they showed only modest growth in income. That figure doubled in 1938 from 578,000 to a million in 1945. A comparable leap, almost 20%, was recorded during the Falklands War, and there was another substantial increase between 1989, 11 million, and 1991, 13 million, the first years of the Gulf War. Recently, figures have followed the same trend. At the beginning of the millennium, the poppy appeal income remained relatively uh, stable, between 20 and 21 million each year. In the second half of the decade, when major wars were being fought in both Afghanistan and Iraq, that number doubled to 40 million pounds by 2011. Uh-huh. 40 million pounds that makes. Um, and it's become kind of an embedded part of British life. Every season yeah. you get poppy season, you can feel it in the air. Yeah. You can smell the mustard gas. <laughs> uh, don't sniff too deeply. It's very bad for you. Mm-hmm. You will not get over it. Um, and its character has changed over time as well. Like When I was growing up, I always remember it as like quite a sombre time. There were standardised images of the, mm. of the war. And the standard thing you would do to uh, commemorate it would be you would buy a poppy mm. and you would stand in silence. Like It's a, a very sombre, very like... Uh, like Puritan-y, quietist almost uh, celebration of... Celebration? Commemoration of that that thing. 
it's become a lot less somber and a lot more kind of adaptable um, in the last few years, especially after 2009, I think, when the last World War One veteran, um, Harry Patch, died. Yeah. It's got a bit more razzmatazz now. It's 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 very weird. It, they've there's a lot more memorials, like specific memorials. So obviously, there were memorials set up in every village, mm. like to the war dead, mm. uh, very Victorian, very austere, very mm-hmm. you know angels crying and shielding their faces and stuff but over the last few years like one this year that really bugged me was there was a statue i think it was a statue of a soldier i'm not sure it was i think it was somewhere in london that had some kind of glass case put over it right. and it had fans blowing poppies around yeah. it which is like what's that um it's the crystal maze <laughs> um yeah that one looked pretty bad there was another one of like a giant soldier made of like metal and like gears and stuff where he looked like a literal war machine um so he looked like the kind of avant-garde art that german soldiers were going back into back to germany and producing yeah during the weimar republic <laughs> yeah um yeah that, that was pretty bad so this year i've noticed a lot more of the um kind of unofficial poppies yeah because like there's, there's been that's been a thing like and when like when we were younger like when we were at school I just remember there being the paper poppy yes the British Legion sold the yeah. just the poppies yeah but then it's in the last like five ten years the metal poppies yeah the pin badges yeah, yeah. and embroidered those... poppies as well huge embroidered poppies yeah. which and is this really year strange. I've never seen these ones before but this year there was a lot there was there were some good grifters making some good good money from ones that were made with um it's like they said like dirt from Belgium and oh. um, some with like with made from brass casings from bullets from the fields oh. and stuff like that. But the funny thing is there was people selling it's pretty those metal, actually. Yeah. There were people yeah. selling those for like forty, fifty quid. There were people selling the exact same ones, the exact same design on eBay for about three pounds. Selling which, them. Yeah, that's fair. As yeah. well. Yeah. But the thing is so it's obviously a grift. Like there is, a unless there is like a mold. <laughs> yeah, there is an actual poppy factory in Richmond. Mm, yeah. That's what one of the things that Haig set up for yeah. the poppy appeal. There's a a big poppy factory staffed by um, disabled veterans in in Richmond. In in yeah, but South. they can't make cool metal ones. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so I've never seen like I, it's been getting worse. That the um, the custom poppy. Yeah, like um, it was yeah. There's some big ones. I've seen a lot of um people walking their dog with um people with poppies on their dog collar. You know, like, it's what... I I saw, like, a metal badge. I was, like, sending it around on a a group chat. um, It was a Border Collie in a poppy, and lest we forget, because (laughs) my dog, he herds chihuahuas, much like soldiers herded freedom. (laughs) They walk very slowly across the park. (laughs) Yeah. I fucking hate. I there was one. Uh, I think we. I, I saw it uh, earlier on this month. That was like a poppy with a machine gun kind of emblazoned mm. across it. Mm-hmm. And it's like I've got this weird. I don't know this weird thing that I'm kind of because on the one hand, obviously it's a it's become a symbol of militarism. But I still. It was always a symbol. Of I, I, yeah, I know. You're just but, too young to know. No, I, I know. <laughs> but there was definitely a pacifistic element mm. to some of the lessons drawn and yeah. I don't think that was like a niche thing I don't think this is a niche thing like the white poppies coming in mm. like cut, like white poppies have obviously been sold alongside them for yeah, a for long years, time years, yeah. um, but I always felt that with the like commemorations and the kind of wording used around those things that it was 
a slightly anti-militarist thing because you were commemorating one particular event. And as it's gone on, obviously because all of the World War I uh, veterans have died mm. and we're so far away from it now that it's become spread and much more applied to the entire military and mm. so therefore anything the military does. And a lot more kind of coded into like the way that our society celebrates events mm. like the Danny Boylification mm. of celebration that it almost goes arm in arm with gentrification. It's the kind of thing you would think a council would do to like improve an area. Mm. So like um, there was one particular event. Uh, it was <laughs> that really bugged me in 2011. There was a second, they got a second world war plane to drop 6,000 poppies over the, over Yeovil. I can't, I, Am I fucking insane that I think that if you're celebrating, again, I use the word celebrating because that's what they're doing. Yeah. But if you're meant, if this is meant to be memory, remembrance, commemoration, all of those things to cast your mind back to a specific thing, that getting a Second World War bomber <laughs> to throw things from the air that are meant to symbolize soldiers. That that's wrong. That you're not <laughs> celebrating that thing in the right way. Um, yeah, I get, I get that. I also, I hate it and the British army with a passion and yeah. anything. That, no, but, but I it, do. That's yeah, the but thing. the things like the Daddy Boylification, like the crassness of it all, like yeah, the dropping poppies, the crystal maze thing, the horrible gaudy statues. The big thing at Tower uh, um, Tower London with like oh the, yeah I've got that yeah, yeah. The, it's called um, Beyond the Deepening Shadow the Tower Remembers I read that book <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a shit fantasy novel like I would have read like a Brendan Sanderson like early, early oh one. shut up no he's, he he is a good person. you were the one who said shitty fantasy novel I didn't say shitty fantasy novel you said that yeah but then you said Brendan Sanderson yeah but Brandon I didn't Sanderson's I, I did it, it was the first fantasy author I could think of in my head I didn't say I thought you were going to say like a fantasy novel. And you said shitty, so that's on you, man. That's on you. Pre-empting my brainwave. Um, So this beyond the deepening shadow, the tower remembers, will fill the moat with thousands of individual flames, a public (laughs) act of remembrance for the lives of the fallen, honouring their sacrifice. This new artistic tribute by designer Tom Piper and sound artist Myra Calix will run for eight nights, leading up to and including Armistice Day. The installation brings together the work of creative director Deborah Shaw, lightning lighting designer Phil Supple... (laughs) Uh, Mist Effect uh, artist Mike Jones, staging and movement Anna Morrissey. Um, it's an evolving installation which will unfold each evening over the course of four hours. Uh, it will be accompanied by a specially commissioned sound installation, a sonic exploration of the shifting tide of political alliances, friendship, love and loss in war. At the centre of the sound installation lies a new choral work, One Lighted Look For Me, by sound artist Myra Calix, with words from war poet Mary Borden's Sonnets to a Soldier. I did see the thing is that's like, very, I like that, I like that because, I like the thing is no, if that wasn't poppies I would like the sound of that. Well, no, no, I'm I glad like all that kind it's of wanky I'm, glad of, I'm glad it's to the war dead. I'm glad it's so crass and over the top and taken away from people's actual personal feelings of remembrance and mm. become this state-owned, state-pushed thing and just absurd because that's what the war was. It was so grindingly stupid and gaudy and crass and it was for no good whatsoever much like the poppy appeal is now That's much funny. like all of this stuff is it's so horrible it should it should make you feel ill 
It should make you feel a bit grossed out because that's what it should do. Because somber remembrance, that's not in the British mindset. <laughs> so, uh, in tandem with like the gaudiness of Poppy Day, the political climate has become a lot more aggressive in searching for dissenters, mm-hmm. and I mean only the political and media climate. Weirdly enough, I've seen less poppies this year and maybe last year than I've seen before. Yeah, I've only seen them on dogs. Like, personally, I've seen people on, I've seen them on dogs. Oh, oh, no, I did see um, Which I thought was like, it was like a, 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 t- a tasteful act of remembrance that someone was wearing their big muddy dog boots to um, keep the laces tied close. Had like It was a poppy thing designed to go over your laces of your boots, <laughs> and it was covered in mud. <laughs> Just like World War One, Exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've seen lots of dogs with them. Lots of whippets, nobly remembering. Um, yeah, always whippets. There's a lot of whippets around Yeah, there. yeah. But yeah, those are the, I've, I've not seen any on any people. Yeah, but and yet the, the actual media climate has stepped up. Maybe I think they are starting to tail off because I've seen enough kind of... Uh, there was a... There was a uh, what's his name? Um, Harry Leslie Smith... Yeah. Um, renounced, like said, he wasn't going to wear a poppy a few yeah. years ago. I think it was about three, three or four years. You mean ago. the people running his Twitter accounts? <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, yeah, one example that was really galling to me yeah. um, on Twitter: uh, James Mitchinson of the Yorkshire Post uh, was talking about Majid Majid, the uh, Sheffield First Citizen, mm-hmm. which is an awesome title, by the way. It is. Um, it's the kind of title that we'll keep on. And he we're, was, when yeah, we're oh, when, definitely. That, there'll be a lot of us. You know, that, that will be definitely a thing that people go for. Yep, 100%. Yeah. Uh, we'll worship the divine creator. We'll <laughs> replace him with the, replace the Church of England with the divine creator. Yep. Um, a tree. So uh, he, Majid Majid wore a white poppy at the official ceremony he was at with his robes. Revolting. <laughs> and he said, The first citizen of Sheffield has not worn a red poppy at today's Remembrance Sunday memorial service. Instead, he wore a white one. Thoughts? Now... Obviously, as a free-thinking member committed of the press, thinking committed to open debate, this was an open-ended question, yeah? No other suggestions at all. You know, he just wanted to wheedle out democratically what the people of Yorkshire thought about their mayor wearing a white poppy, their Muslim Somali mayor... Actually, I'm not sure if he's Muslim. Uh, their British Somali mayor, immigrant Somali mayor, immigrant, 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 Oops, wearing a white poppy, yeah? And... That's what he wanted when he posted the same message four hours previously. Um, <laughs> adding to that previous message, he shunned the wearing of the poppy, of the traditional poppy, the soldiers standing right behind him, literally and metaphorically, did not. Just asking questions, man. I just want thoughts. How did you I'm not shun trying to push poppy? immigrant. I'm not trying to push I'm not trying to push any particular line. I'm just saying this man who's very different from you <laughs> is doing something that... It's pissing on your great-grandfather's grave. Pissing on your grave. grandfather's grave. <laughs> just asking questions. Just asking questions at such a high pitch that local dogs start to rut and bark uncontrollably. It's nothing, nothing weird. And, you know, he got the proper response. Like, someone said, it's not appropriate in the context of a remembrance service if he wants to wear a white poppy on his... That morphed into a Yorkshire accent over time. That was really weird. I wasn't intending to do that. Uh, If he wants to wear a white poppy... That's not Yorkshire anymore. That's like fucking Wallace and Groy or some shit. If he wants to wear a white poppy on his own time, I guess that's his... that's, That's his choice and his business, but the red poppy is our... Our... Symbol of remembrance, <laughs> and he should respect that in his public role. 
My key ring has like has a literal dog whistle attached to it. Do the poppies come with them now as well? <laughs> um, yeah, there's this chafing at the bit to kind of identify, and it's a weird kind of thing because they're the the right wing in this country and the kind of reactionaries. They look at the usual suspects and expect that to happen. I imagine. Uh, let's say Ash Sarkar's mm. Twitter feed. Mm. I imagine that was browsed approximately three times harder than normal. Yeah, just to find it on the weeks leading up to like yeah. the eleventh of November. Of course, Aaron Bastani took all the heat off her by doing his thing, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's especially as like as Indian and Pakistani and Caribbean so Imperial regiments are honoured alongside the British. This like des- this desire to kind of define the adoption of public duty and and like confine it just to being a white british thing mm-hmm. it gets stronger and stronger every year maybe mm. with a i think maybe it's starting to tail off because there's literally nothing you can do seeing as there's i don't think you can go more for a kind of poppy baiting story than when uh, who's that guy who's just got out of prison the islamist um Oh, the one who burnt the poppies. Yeah, the, he but he burned a poppy. It's an Islamist group in Britain burning a poppy. So you can't really go further from that. I literally can't even remember his name. Um, he's he's just been. Yeah, no, it's because I, I made. He was a, Tommy I'm Robinson's a, friend. Yeah, I made. I made. He a, knows Tommy Robinson really, really well. <laughs> they both made a lot of money together. They actually did, though. To be fair. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad I can't remember his name. Actually, yeah. it's completely yeah, gone yeah. from my head. Um. So, like, what is it about Poppy Day that? leads Britain to lose its collective mind especially over manner and form especially when it's degraded so much anyway um, I saw it was really fucking horrible it was um, I watched a Channel 4 thing for I think it was Channel 4 it was actually it was BBC I think for um, Prince Charles's 70th birthday mm-hmm. um, and there was a bit where he was doing like an act of remembrancey thing with some like retired Welsh guards and they're all wearing World War One era clothes. They got bowler hats, and they all walk past him, and they tip their bowler hats to him, and he tips what? their bowler. Hat. It was such a weird, contrived thing. Yeah, art installation. That's that's like a fucking. That's like a modern museum or or mm. heritage, like what they would call a heritage installation. <laughs> that's the kind of thing you do. Get people to dress up as those things and then recreate it. Yeah, that's it's so um, weird. It's here's the thing: like the longer it goes away from World War One the more that they can fiddle with what World War One was about. Because, you know, it was about um, our freedom of speech. It was it was actually the main reason why we went to war was because people were no-platforming journalists from Spiked Online. <laughs> and Spiked Online in charge of the war effort. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't fucking dare to do um, this, but uh, Brendan O'Neill released his Poppy article this year. Because that's how you refer to it from now on. Brendan O'Neill <laughs> released his article. Um, it was earlier on in November, and he was like, God, aren't the anti-Poppy people so smug? I've never worn a Poppy before. This year, I think I will. And it's like, you fucking child. Oh god! I saw um, he was on. He didn't. He did a thing with Saga of Cad. He did. Yeah, I haven't watched it because I'm not going to. All I saw, yeah, I saw the thing like a cup of tea and a pint of beer because that's yeah. how British they are. It's like Whoa. that's what they think double fisting is. <laughs> a yeah. shot and a chaser. <laughs> shot of tea. <laughs> the official working class uniform yeah. of. Well, you, it's like a, it's like a death charge of a shot of tea, a shot of milky tea into a pint of bitter. <laughs> oh. I mean that, that. I mean that. That kind of leads me on to like what. I, like the only thing I can think of with Remembrance Day as to why people lose their mind so much yeah. is obviously it's distant and far more focused now on 
displays of Britishness. So with the beer and tea, that's the usual consumption-led display of national identity. The English don't have many formal displays of national culture that have stuck. Mm. They try St George's Day every single year, but people don't know what to celebrate. They don't know how to celebrate, other than doing what they do on a weekend anyway. Oh, we're going to have a barbecue. Yeah, fucking you and everyone else. Yeah. Um, and they're not they're, they're they're searching for the thing that only they can have. Yeah. I think they see the kind of commodified national cultures that get fed to them through the TV because let's face it they're not going there. Hmm. And they want that kind of thing but they don't know what it is. They yeah. don't know how to celebrate it because the cultural limits of being English are set by American cultural imperialism, consumer culture and um the kind of fact that so many of the kind of working class traditions were actively prescribed by Thatcher, like the Mm. the material basis that created the solidarity by which people could celebrate a common thing together has been destroyed. We're more atomized than we ever have been. And trying to substitute that just with an English national culture is bollocks. People get to watch the tennis on the big TV screen. (laughs) (laughs) It's also not helped by the fact that Obviously, there's significant numbers of reactionaries in this country that would just love a US-style culture war. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Michael Gove being my favourite one. Mm. Uh, that couple of years ago, do you remember when he um, he was education secretary at the time mm. and he had a massive go at left-wing academics who promoted a Blackadder view of the First World War? Yeah. Um, he said it might have been might have been a uniquely horrific war, but it was also plainly a just war. The ruthless social Darwinism of the German elites, the pitiless approach they took to occupation, their aggressively expansionist war aims, their scorn for the international order. <laughs> Thanks, Mouse. Um, <laughs> that was Mouse the cat. If you yeah. have not recognised her from every other episode we've ever done. <laughs> um, and he kind of targeted cultural depictions of those wars that he feels people have taken up too mm. much and also tried to mesh it together with World War Two, which has the benefit of being maybe a properly just war. Bits of it. Maybe the only example of that. And it's also, like, Remembrance Day fits back into this because it's a, it's a problem when you celebrate the English military because the vast majority of English military actions were not done for any good reason. In fact, they were done for very bad reasons. Yeah. They don't celebrate uh, the, you know, the Malay uprising no. suppression. They don't celebrate the, um, uh, the Mau Mau uprising. No. They don't celebrate Amritsar. They don't celebrate any of those things and like you said, with World War Two, um, the uh, one of the reasons when um, the Japanese invaded Borneo, one of the reasons why they the British sent so many troops in there wasn't to repel the Japanese; it was to keep it as part of mm. British India. Mm. So all of that is melded in with the kind of imperial story that people would like to paper over. And Remembrance Day is one way of doing that by focusing on white soldiers, focusing yeah. on the Western it's- Front. It's a lovely way, like the way they mush it all together. Mm. That World War One and World War Two would like this is the general thing that you would get that you get off like LBC mm. um, is that World War One and World War Two were fought to defend free speech and Jews. Yes, which it's like, well, first off, Jews. I would like to find. I would like to someone find evidence for. British politicians being explicitly not anti-Semitic around then, because I think that would be quite hard to well, find. Well, they, re- they refused repeated um, refugee trains exactly. of uh, 
Jewish people fleeing Germany. Exactly. Fleeing Nazi Germany. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of argument about how much they knew about what was going on, but it was clear nothing good was going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and freedom of speech. It's just... The freedom of speech one is one... It's a really galling one every fucking 60% of the British Army in World War One didn't have the vote. Yeah, exactly. But also, the fact that it always comes up this time of year, it's like, War Christmas happens... You know, they your great grandfather fought and died for your freedom of speech, and that's why you fucking wear that poppy. That has become way more prevalent as well. I have seen way more um, fight for your freedom American style mm. uh, posters and Facebook memes, yeah. mainly Facebook yeah. um, things, than I have in any any other year. It's become a much more political symbol. It downplays the kind of collective political catastrophe that war and any war ends up being, mm-hmm. and focuses in favour of like a single soldier doing his duty in the rain, never dying, mm-hmm. never cringing in terror. Yeah. Um, but you know, feeling the terror, persevering, and then eventually winning. You know, yeah. like a Nike advert. <laughs> um, my actually, yeah, my favourite, uh, my favourite poppy controversy. Uh, 1993. Okay. A little game called Cannon Fodder. Okay. Released for the Amiga, which was the, oh, yeah. the computer I had at the time. Yeah. And um, they had a, it, the Cannon Fodder overall was a British-made product that had an anti-war message. You had little soldiers that you led yeah. around, and when they died, they died in real life. And on the uh, the uh, start screen, you had graves littering a hillside, and you had new recruits coming over the hill. Yeah to kind of pile up and wait to, to go into into war. And they used a very prominent poppy on the like uh, title screen. Yeah. And the British Legion actually, I think, sued them. <laughs> um, and the publisher was forced to change the cover. Hmm. That's my that's my favourite one, maybe because it you know reminds me of the Amiga, which is always <laughs> a good thing. Yeah. They, um, they're quite litigious, aren't they? Cause, oh, that was a figure I did see. That, um, it was, um, I think it was a couple of years ago, a woman made rhinestone tears to put on poppies. Oh, that's so... I know, we've... Oh! Um, but the British, Legion were in, the British Legion were annoyed at her. Oh! Because of taking money away from them. Oh! <laughs> that's the thing as well. These things are actually for sale. Yeah. Like, people are just making money off it. Oh, yeah. I suppose a perfect metaphor, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just... Oh. I've seen, yeah, the main ones I've seen this year is on, on a lot of dogs. Mm. Um, and on, it's it's always that weird thing, because there's like a couple of people I talk to when I bought the dog, and it's, you're never sure just how far to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, like when I see a dog with a poppy, I want to spit at the dog for being a disgusting it's not particularly it's not particularly something that comes up that often and i think that Mm. works in general militarism's favor yeah we are so far away from an act from like modern modern war that Mm. it's quite easy to lionize the things that go on because you don't have to see or feel any of the results other than if you know Mm. like a soldier Mm. a troop Mm. so it's quite easy to get real gung-ho about that shit Mm. Yeah, I know a couple of soldiers, but I don't know what they're like around War Christmas. Well, my dad doesn't care. Mm. Um, your family's Welsh as well, so you have a very particular. Yeah, and, and your my, family. My like... dad's time in the military as well. He's in the RAF, and his yeah. main thing that he took from that is because he was stationed with NATO. Is he hates NATO? <laughs> yeah. I don't really know many. Tr- like my, yeah, my I stepfather know... was very much happy with his time in the army, but I don't think he really. I don't think he even wears a poppy. Yeah, I know a couple of troops now, but I don't know them well enough to know how they feel about that kind of thing. 
Um, it's weird. Um, so yeah, that little paper flower reminds people of the nation's darkest moments, but it also kind of tries to bring them under this historical rubric whereby the, the greatest and best moments are all associated with war. Mm. So it's like Battle of Britain, Dunkirk, D-Day landings. They've all become integral components. And as British national identity has become far more compromised and holy, as in full of mm. holes, mm -hmm. um, it's been pushed even harder. I watch fucking Darkest Hour... Mm. I tried to watch Darkest Hour on Sunday and turned off. It's okay. it's like a bollocks film. It's a yeah. shit film. But the rate at which they're turning out like World War II period dramas about yeah. particular things and made in a way that seek to kind of give you a little bit of the gore but only as a character building lesson yeah. really fucking pisses me off. All of these things, all of these cultural tropes this kind of remembrance is not memory. Mm. It's not, as the people with direct experience of both wars pass away and we become more distant from the events, the act of dedicating yourself to remembering and therefore drawing lessons from the military conflicts of the 20th centuries, century grows more remote. Instead, it just becomes this day where thoughts are focused on the military itself and perfectly, perfectly sensible sympathy with the conscripts of mm. the Great War get transposed onto every conflict that the British state could be involved with. Mm. And I, it's, it's manipulated in that way. Imperial apologists demand that victims of British imperial atrocities forget that they're holding on to the past or holding a grudge that doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm. And yet we still hold on to a very particular personal, personalised view pushed mm. by the state and by uh, our culture in general. The images of war of the war are idealised soldiers, symbols of sacrifice and victory. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I went to the Imperial War Museum, which by then had kind of taken on the kind of postmodern heritage industry mm -hmm. view of how a museum should should be run. Um, they had these rotating range of images of the trenches, and one of them was a picture of a World War One corpse, and mm. you know. Um, it had uh, a uniform on. It was muddied and torn, but it was still recognisable as a, a German uniform. Um, the hands were still there. Like again, they were muddied, but they mm. had they had flesh. The body had mm. flesh and weight to it. It was it, the, it filled out the uniform, um, recognisable as a human being. You know, I think it was still holding a gun across mm. its chest at some point. Um, on top of that body was a perfectly bleached skull. Mm. No flesh. No gore entirely stripped down mm. now I had seen both of those images before I had seen images of dead bodies mm. and I had seen images of skeletons but seeing one attached to the other mm. I hadn't seen that before I hadn't yeah. contemplated although I knew there was a skeleton inside yeah. people I'd never seen it put so dramatically yeah. and so it was like a really shocking image I, I couldn't actually find it when I was looking for, for, for it for this episode but um it was so shocking and it, it just those are the kind of images that aren't used in modern remembrance day kind no. of imagery we get the mud we get the soldiers you know drinking out of tin cups complaining about the food but the dead the actual dead bodies the blood yeah. the fear the limbs and the skulls have been subtly edited out early remembrance day images have soldiers standing to attention or laying out as if sleeping a bit more kind of mournful and as we say somber but all the weird fucking facebook memes in 2018 show alive soldiers saluting or even charging over the barricades yeah. charging the trenches with 
anger and fury and joy on their faces. Yeah. Um, screaming about freedom and the sacred blood spilled in the name of a political system which denied them the vote. Yeah. Stoic patriotism wasn't enough to stay alive in the trenches. That should be obvious. These symbols aren't scary anymore. World War One and, by extension, World War Two are presented as an era of unparalleled safety and security and honour, a time you should want to live in and strive to recreate, a time when you could be proud to be British, whereas in reality it was a period where some people must have felt disgusted to be human. Mm. Um, like their floral counterparts... Poppies have come to promote a collective anaesthesia, easing the pain of listening to the stories of ever older and more distant people and substituting it with a collective myth, in truth, one of the few holding Britain together as a cultural unit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. It's... I, I'm a bit... Yeah, I'm a, I think it's why they get so angry the... with, with people who are specifically anti-poppy or like wear the white poppy or anything like that. Yeah. Because it is all they've got. It's spoiling their good time. Yeah. And that's not what this should be. This no. shouldn't be a good time. No. This should be a real bad time. Mm. And I, I just, I get really disgusted. I don't know if it's like me growing up, like my dad's a big like uh, World War One and World War Two kind of history mm. freak. And so we ended up going to a lot of museums and mm. I ended up getting to exposed to a lot of that stuff. And uh, yeah, I don't think he's overly like militaristic, but just the idea that these people are like, as in the people now, modern Britain, is somehow holding those people's experiences and memories in in high esteem. When I see a World War Two bomber <laughs> dropping poppies over a British town, that's not holding that memory in high esteem. Even if you didn't even if you don't have an anti war perspective yeah. on it. That's not holding that in high esteem. No. And there's something about that hypocrisy that really fucking rankles me. Yeah, I get that. Mm. I love it though because the whole thing's disgusting. <laughs> you may have the right attitude, actually. Now, 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 I've had it explained to me. Maybe I need to just <laughs> relish in the Go. filth. Come join me and wallow in the mud. <laughs> that's how I said. That's how I did my remembrance Sunday. I rolled around in the mud I, with my dog. I dug a hole in my garden and rolled around in it while my wife shot at me <laughs> and threw tins of Coleman's mustard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, that's up. For, that's us for this week. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us at wdtatw underscore podcast. You can follow me at bm bergamo and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Frightened am the least about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to cut my